This is the Growth and Greatness e-commerce podcast, powered by Right Hook Digital, with your host Scott Seward and Raymond Johnston. If you're an e-commerce brand founder, entrepreneur, or marketer looking to accelerate profitable growth for your business, then listen in, because this is the podcast for you. All right, on this week's episode, Ray's not going to join us, so I'm flying solo, but really excited. Had a great conversation today with uh, Mr. Brian Clayton, who is the founder of yourgreenpower.com, which is a law mowing service. So it's a little bit different, not necessarily in the direct e-commerce space, but you know, we really dive into mental frameworks as an entrepreneur, a founder, um, what that journey looks like. And uh, looking deeply in actually how, how to build a marketplace type of business and, and some of the foundations around that and the importance of customer service. So I really recommend listening to this. Lots to take away. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to the Growth and Greatness e-commerce podcast. This is actually intro take two because Scott hit, forgot to hit the record button at the start. Rookie error. Uh, Ray can't join us today. I'm used to him hitting the record button, so I've had to make up for it. But we've got a, a very interesting guest with us today. We've got Mr. Brian Clayton, who is the founder of Green Pal. Brian, welcome to the show, man. Scott, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. <laughs> yeah, we just had a, a bit of a blooper at the start there. So uh, I'm really excited to have you here and, and learn more about the, the business and how you got started. So let's start there. Just for, for everyone who's listening who doesn't know about GreenPal, uh, what it offers, a um, bit of an intro and background into, into the business, how it got started and, and how you sort of got your journey started along that line. Yeah, yeah. GreenPal is, is uh, my baby. I've been working on it for about 10 years. I guess you could say we're a 10-year overnight success. Uh, GreenPal is the Uber for lawn mowing. So if you're a homeowner and you need to get your lawn mowed, rather than calling around on Craigslist, Facebook, or asking friends for recommendations, you just download the GreenPal app. And you pop your address in, you'll get quotes from other lawn mowing services in your neighborhood. You hire the one you want to work with and they come out and take care of the chore for you. And if you like how they did, you can just push a button and it just kind of happens like clockwork in the background. Uh, been at this, like I said, almost a decade. We're in every city and every state in the United States now, around 300,000 people using the app, awesome. uh, doing, doing almost $30 million a year in revenue. And we have self-funded the business the whole way through. We haven't Beautiful. taken on any any outside capital. So um, it's been, it was hard the first few years, but now that we're we've got some good momentum going and we're profitable, it's it's a lot of fun running this business. I could imagine those first few years, like when you think about going back ten years from now, when these type of flat, platforms and services were relatively in their infancy in terms of being used at, at a broad scale. How like what were those first years? Like, like I could imagine that would have been really difficult getting off the ground, and and I guess like from a mental standpoint, pushing through that, really challenging uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I, we didn't really know what the hell we were doing. We, none of us, uh, my two co-founders and I, had not built a tech product before. Uh, this was our first go at it, so we kind of had to teach ourselves how to write software as we were going, and and we didn't really understand you yourself. You built site yourself. Yeah, uh, we we had to. You know, my co-founder took a went to a boot camp, uh, like a like a night and weekend boot camp for to learn server side engineering. And I Amazing. became I became the world's uh, crappiest front end engineer. That's some good. And we uh, yeah yeah we we just kind of stuck it out and, and taught ourselves how to develop software as we built uh, what we thought GreenPal should be. And literally, 
had dozens of customers, like like less than 50. And we hustled those up by passing out flyers all over Nashville, Tennessee, where we live. And and we just listened to everything they told us and, and tried to build to suit their feedback. And that was kind of our guiding principle in the early years was just building to solve their problems, making it really frictionless for them to tell us everywhere we sucked. And, and we just slowly got it better and better and better and developed a little bit of a growth strategy along with that. And, and now here we have over 300,000 people using the app. So Stumper's so started really very local, right? Yeah. Very local. Yeah, I spent uh, four years just in Nashville, Tennessee until we kind of figured out how to delight people with the app and, and how to make it make it uh, more seamless and smooth and reliable and more cost effective than, than in the, than the analog uh, world. And, and that took a long time to figure out, took a long time just through trial and error. And until we kind of figured it out, uh, we didn't feel like it was necessary to move into any other cities. So we spent almost four years in Nashville, Tennessee, until we moved into our second, third, and fourth city. Wow. Wow. Going back a step, like what were you, you and your, your co-founder doing before you founded GreenPal and, and what led to, to the, I guess, the initial idea of, of it as a business? Yeah. So my, so my, actually my first business was a lawn mowing business. I started okay. mowing grass in high school as a way to make extra cash and uh, little by little grew a little lawn mowing business in high school, all through college. And, and uh, when I graduated college, I had to make a decision. Was I going to go into the job market and take a pay cut or stick with my landscaping business? And I, well, you know, I'll see how far I can take this landscaping company that I was kind of working on the side and, and made a little business plan. And over a 15-year period of time, built one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee where I live, eventually uh, getting it over 150 employees getting it over 10 million a year in revenue. And then in 2013, that business was, was acquired by one of the largest landscaping conglomerates in the United States. And so after that, I took some time off, uh, traveled a little bit, uh, did some self-reflection, got bored and decided, okay, what do I want to do now? And I saw what Uber and Airbnb were doing in, a, in, a, in other industries with building technology to make these real world transactions run a lot smoother. And I thought, that needs to exist for the industry that I know. And, and so I kind of had, uh, I guess you could say, authenticity as a competitive advantage. I knew the industry from the yeah. inside out. I knew the pro- problems that we were trying to solve. Just didn't know how to build software. <laughs> so <laughs> I, had to, I had to learn that side of it. And uh, so that's where the idea came from, was basically solving my own problem uh, by building GreenPal. And, and uh, in a weird way, you know, here we are 10 years later. The idea we had back then is really the same thing we're working on today, a decade later. How do you make getting this chore done as easy as pushing a button? And how do we make it cheaper, smoother, faster, more reliable than, than you can in the traditional sense of, 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 of trying to call somebody to do this for you? I, I love that. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's more like that 20 to 25 year overnight success that you've built here from a high school lawn mowing business to a $30 million enterprise really it's that's uh, that i love hearing that story because you know i think there's a bit of a misconception these days that things happen so quickly and 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 look you can do things really really quickly but it's not necessarily the the path that most people take and i think it's patience and hard work and and, and driving through that like i love hearing that I story agree. 
It's a I agree. Year. It's uh, you, you, it's one thing I've learned over the last ten years too is that there really are no overnight successes. You know, seemingly X Y Z company, you know, maybe built and sold or or raised a bunch of money in what seems to be like two or three years, but you really start looking like the story behind the story, and it's maybe that founder. Up, right? Yeah, maybe they crashed and burned on two or three other things, or you know, they changed the name of the company, or they were bought, or something, or you know, or that, or you know, and also always like that, that, that founder was like hacking on stuff in high school, and so, so you're always looking at like five, 10, 15 years, you're never looking at two years. It, it just takes a long time to, to, to get started from scratch. And, and, um, I hate the phrase trust the process because. You know, that almost indicates that all you got to do is just kick back and let it happen. That's not how it works, but it does take a long time. Yeah. I, I think you listen to that. You know, you spent 15 years understanding the industry as a, as a being hands on first. You know, and I think about our journey and, you know, there's maybe a bit of an outside perspective of that. Like we've grown an agency really, really quickly in the last four years to 120 people, but you know, I've been in the e commerce space and the marketing space for, you know, over a decade now. Right. You don't see that. Like if I didn't right. hadn't have gone through that process to start with before we launched the agency, I wouldn't have the skill set to be able to, you know, build the team that we've built. So exactly. it's, um, yeah, there's there's always a lot more behind the story. It's, it's, I love hearing that one start in high school. Let's um, jump back a bit, back to those first few years. Like, because I can Im- I imagine there would have been just so many hurdles, obstacles, challenges that you guys would have had to face to, to overcome to, to get that zero to 10,000 feet part right because that's the hardest part getting off the ground getting from ten thousand to thirty thousand feet is is usually um a little bit less of a grind you've got a bit of traction momentum like what were some of the biggest challenges you had in those first few years outside of having to learn how to code yeah yeah going zero to one is is the hardest part and and uh it's it's like it's where do you even start you don't know how to code you don't know how to build a product where you're building a marketplace that connects buyers and sellers and Really, kind of the way that we we got through it was just was just triaging around what are the one or two things that are the most important that we need to work on this week right now, and and a lot of it was just distilling it down to focus by staying just in one city, we were able to focus on okay if we can just if we can just keep a hundred people happy, I know we can get it to a thousand, and if we can get it to a thousand, I know we can get it to ten. If we get it to ten, I know we can get it to a hundred. So like those, it's like that mental elevator, right? You hit that. You know you can get to the next one once you hit that barrier. That's right. And, that, and that's kind of the way we looked at it. We just took it like a video game almost and just worked one level at a time. Awesome. Didn't really worry about Bowser. And, you know, if, if you're on level two, you don't, you can't worry about Bowser. And, yeah. and so, and that's, that's kind of how we took it. And, and a lot of it was just, just hustle and, and, and maybe even just consistency as a superpower, just showing up day in, day out. I had made the decision when I had sold my first company that, you know, this next time around, no matter what, I was just going to, be working on my best idea by default. So, so giving up was not an option. And I guess, fortunately, I'm not terribly creative. Like GreenPal was and is my best idea. And so it was just showing up every day, you know, six, seven days a week, figuring out what are the things we got to do today? Do we, you know, uh, what, are we, what, are, what are the input metrics to get where we're going? Okay, well, we got to create more content for the website to get more traffic. We got to get more uh, PR exposure. So we got to email more journalists. We need these five feet. We actually need, a, we, need these, we need these 50 features, but these five are the most important. And these are the ones we're working on. And really just taking it down and stilling it to what are the two or three things we're doing today to drive ourselves to the next level and, and celebrating the small 
small wins. You know, our, one of our first goals was we just wanted to do 100 transactions in one week. And uh, that was the goal for the first year. And we hit like 52. And so we didn't hit that until like year two. Uh, now we do thousands and thousands of transactions a day. But, but if we could do it 100 in one week, I knew we could make it work. It took us two years to do that. But we celebrated the hell out of that when we hit it. And you, you brought up a few really simple but critical elements that are things that I've reflected on quite a lot over the last six to 12 months, that the, the consistency is so key and the ability to focus on what's in, important, right? And, 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 it's, and it's, it's understand knowing those things and understanding them and implementing them are very different. Everyone knows that you should be consistent. Everyone knows that you should prioritise and focus, but people's ability to actually execute on those is the challenge and i've noticed that with myself you know i look back and go okay if i had to be more consistent in these areas or i had to prioritize i might have been more effective and, and i know that's been a, a key part like how important are those like simple concepts do you think have, have played a role in 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 the success in the success that you guys have had it's a lot of little things over and over again and and you know and there's entrepreneurship is full of all of these dichotomies and one of them is you have to have this huge audacious goal that you're that you're driving towards, but you also have to think and act very small. You only go um, one step at a time, right? Yeah, and like, these things begin to compound over a, over a period of time. But you know, at the end of the day, in years one, two, and three, maybe it means you're emailing a hundred journalists every day. You know, trying to get journalists to talk about your app. Maybe it means you're you're cranking out five blog posts. Maybe it means you're writing at ten thousand lines of code every day. These are the input metrics that go into. Uh, getting where you're trying to go. And then as you do these things, then you get pretty good at them to where you can start to delegate them and build out a team around you. I think a lot of entrepreneurs these days try to skip all that mm. and they just try to delegate day one. They have no like basis of understanding how uh, to delegate. Too. Right. And, and I Point have to. My face. Yeah, I have too. And, and uh, when you're trying to build a team and you're trying to delegate, you know, you want to do so from a standpoint of stewardship and and uh, and not one of uh, abdication. You know, abdication is like I don't know how to do this. It scares me. You handle it. Yeah, that's you always can, you can't teach or train disaster. someone to do it if you can't do it properly yourself, right? But that's that'll be right. Another, another thing you, like, you you sort of touched on there is it, it's the persistence of those things because you, you mentioned the fact that it compounds over time, and a lot of times, you know, with exponential pursuits like this, you don't see the results early, but and then you get down the road and they start really compounding on themselves and it accelerates. Like you talk about the email, the small things that you're doing, you might not notice them today, but you know, six months, 12 months, two years down the track with that exponential curve, but a lot of people quit because they don't see the results early enough. That's right. How, like, how, how, important, how important you see that persistence and, and grit element in, in, what you, in what you guys have achieved? It, it really has been the reason why we got through those first three or four years. Yeah. Manufacturing the momentum uh, is, is, is how we've gotten to where we are today. And now we know we have a team of over 40 people and we have specialists that are really good at things that we, we're able to put them in roles where they can excel, whether it be somebody who's great at data analysis or, or, or we hired an SEO team lead uh, last year who's, who's a rock star and, or somebody who's a senior level programmer. You know, We were like half-assed good at all of these things and now we've got specialists in Amazing. the pocket, and so grinding our way to toward to that to that po position to where we can put people in roles uh, to where they can excel is is a big unlock, and maybe that's a level like five or six thing. You know, it's an evolution thing, right? 
Like you have to get, you have to build up to that point. Got to build there. And unless you've done it before, it's really hard to fast forward to that stuff. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes raising capital and going to an accelerator and getting mentors can help you move through it quicker. Uh, but a lot of times it's really hard to kind of fake your way through that. You really, really do have to just go through it and learn it. And it takes time. It, it mm. takes time to learn how to manage and be a good steward of that. And a lot of times as a founder, you know, as you start to make a little bit of money, you take on the role of capital allocator. It's like, I got a little bit of money coming in and now where do I put it back to work? Do I, do I hire another dev? Do I hire another designer? Do I hire another content creator? Do I hire this you know, an agency to handle this thing, you know, it's like, where do I make my bets? Cause startups are a lot like poker and less so like chess, like it's little small bets you're making and, and uh, you better make the right ones. Cause yeah. it could, you know, it could spell the difference between success and failure. And, and so it's interesting how like the, the, the your role as the founder, it, it, you're working less in the business and more on the business and, and you're making these smart bets. And I think how you can make smarter bets is you take it, you do one other thing, you work on yourself. You read books, you listen to audiobooks, you listen to podcasts like this one, you you go to conferences. If you can't go to the conference, maybe you listen to it, you watch it on YouTube uh, for free. You know, it's like you're 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 spending, you know, an entire day a week working on yourself so you can you can have the skills to to make better bets. Man, I I, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, you know, and I D and I I know between us we we're both just relentless readers and learners it's, it's it's what we try to spend as much of our time doing and so much of what we've learned in figuring out how to build the agency because well, let's be honest we've not fucking done this before i have any right to be doing it so we've had to figure a lot of it out on our own and most of that has come from books like people have gone through this experience and it's to me it's the easiest way to to fast track that yeah such, such a key thing right it can accelerate it and uh i think a lot of times so a, a quote that I like is like, you don't learn, then do you do then learn. Mm. So, so do like get a product in, in the hands of customers or in your case, you know, get some people in the agency, start working with them. And then you learn and then, and then you pour gas on top of that by, by listening to everything, maybe, you know, s- something that somebody has already done that you're trying to do, listening to everything they're putting out. You know, I, that's one way I've, I've been mentored asynchronously by about 20 different people over the last 10 years. And, you know, whether it's like there's this guy named Casey Winters, who was the first team uh, uh, growth guy at Pinterest. And he's the reason why Pinterest is what it is. Like he's the guy who took them to 100 million users. And and he talks about things like growth and SEO and conversion rate optimization. He's a practitioner of these things is my point. Like he actually does them and he tells you how he did it. Like I've learned so much from this guy and maybe a dozen other people and they don't know who I am, but I know who they are. And, and, uh, and that's how I've kind of been able to level up my skills and how I kind of like coach and lead our team is I'm learning from guys and gals who have done this stuff at big scale because it's, it's all accessible now. And, and, and what a, what a time to be alive to start a business. You can learn from people who have done it in the big leagues for free. Yeah, it's it's huge, and and I can hear it just in the way that you communicate about everything so far. It's very principle based. It, it, you know, going back to step, you know, you're talking about reinvesting back into the business. You got to have that long term view with that, making those bets. So you're thinking in probabilities. I can see how everything that you've done is is very structured from a mental framework standpoint, which only comes yeah. from, from learning and reading and and trying to find those mentors, right? 
I appreciate that. And five, 10 years ago, I did not think that way. Yeah, so it's, it's like, if you, if you are running a business and you're, and you're running it with all of your heart and you're growing it and you're doing it well, you're doing it right. You should evolve as a completely different person every three or four years, maybe even every two Fast, years. Faster if we can. Yeah. Yeah. You should be like in this, like, you should be like unrecognizable from where you were three years ago. Cause the business is going to require that of you. And that's one of the cool things about it. It's this thing that carries you into places in life that you never would have gone to. And that's one of the things I love about it. It's the thing that keeps pushing me forward. You have to, you know, we, 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 like, we look back every six or 12 months and you're almost, almost blown away, but how by how little you knew six or 12 months ago, yeah, because yeah, you, can't, you, can't, like, you can't fix <laughs> next year's problems with today's yeah. thinking, right? Like you, you just need to be continually leveling up that, that mental framework of, of how you're approaching things. Let's, um, I, I could, I could dive into this side forever, but let's shift back to the, to the green pal side. I'm really curious because I'm a, I'm a huge advocate and I don't think enough emphasis gets put on, customer service and customer relationships with brands. And you guys have built that, like you built a product around that, going out to the Gemba, so to say, and, and, and speaking to people at the floor and your customers and understanding that how pivotal has customer service been to the overall growth of your business? Yeah, it's it's like, it's it's customer service is one thing, but like, especially in the early days, that customer feedback is, is the lifeblood of the business because that is going to tell you where you need to be focusing. A lot of times what kills startups is they is they focus on things that don't matter. And if you are listening to your customers, you're never going to be at a loss for what you should be focusing the team's intensity on. And and so in the early days, you know, you had to remove all of the friction between you and your customer. Um, you know, whether it be live chat hits you up on your cell phone. Transactional email has your cell number at the bottom. Uh, when somebody calls in, it rings your cell phone. Like you personally are dealing with people on up to maybe even a thousand customers. And that might sound crazy, but if you're willing to do that for the first three or four years, you'll never, it'll be like beaten to your soul where you need to be focusing the team's intensity mm -hmm. and, and what, what things are most important. Whereas most founders try to hide behind like a customer support team or try to hide behind like a call bank or like a email address that is support at example.company.com. And, and the reality is, is that that's a, that's a thing that can like lead you into a trap because what happens is, is this gap develops between founder logic and customer logic. And the two of you aren't even seeing the problem from the same, the, the same dynamic. And you really want to close that gap. And the way you close it is just with good customer service, good customer support, and making it dead ass simple for them to contact you, the founder, on up to where it's unsustainable. And then you can build a, a support team around you. Even to this day, you know, even though we have hundreds of thousands of users, I still personally do a few hours of customer support every single day, seven days a week, because it keeps me really close to what the customer's thinking and what the customer wants and what they wish we would do differently. And the best ideas we've ever had have come out of uh, what customers want. Yep. And uh, we, we recently just released a feature kind of like Airbnb's uh, instant book where you can you know instantly book a, a room and not have to wait for a response from the host. We, we spent almost two years building an entire like backend to automatically quote properties that we have high liquidity in certain markets to where people can instantly book a yard mowing service and not have to wait for a quote back. And this was steeped in people telling us every day like, Hey, I received one bid, but it's been 15 minutes. I need two or three others. 
and what's going on. And so it's just like, you know, had I not been so close to that problem, been so close to the feedback, I really wouldn't have known that we needed to prioritize that feature. And when we built that, man, we really noticed it. And so if you're willing to like close the gap between customer logic and founder logic, it can really make or break your business. Have you found that there's situations or times where, because the customer doesn't always know what they want until it's put in front of them, right? That's, that's, that's true. That's, that's, the, that's the enigma. And, and, it's, and it's like, you know, when do you take the, the Henry Ford, Steve Jobs approach? Totally. And, and a lot of times, you know, a lot of times it's, it's not that complicated. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, especially when, if you're in a simple business like ours, you know, people really want one thing. They want faster, cheaper, uh, more reliable, smoother, less friction. And it's not that complicated. Um, so, so we're, you know, if you're in a, a business where you're, where you're really inventing the next big thing, maybe so, but the reality is most businesses aren't that way. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that, is that it's an iterative, uh, 20 mile march to success and you're just making the one thing better and better and better. Um, that's how it's been for us. Um, and maybe we're, we're lucky in that regard that, you know, we're in such a non-sexy industry that we can kind of take a slow and low approach, but that's been the way I experienced it. I think the, the myth of, of the, of, you know, Henry Ford and Steve jobs, like these, these are some of the greatest entrepreneurs in the last hundred some odd years, I think can, can, can be an excuse for founders to not do the painful work of sitting at a kitchen coffee table with their first dozen customers face to face to figure out what it is they want. Um, because the reality is, you know, building without that feedback almost never works. Yeah. Um, it, it almost never works. If you, if you build it, they will not come. And you really do have to build it to what people, what people are wanting and what they're expressing that they want. And, uh, and the only way to know that is just, is just to open up the feedback. I, I don't, I don't, I think it's a trap to fall into the, the, the myth or the, I guess the the romantic idea of you can just kind of like ideate the next big thing without having to listen to customers. It's rare. Yeah, it's rare. It's very, very, very rare. It's, it's, it's the exception, not the rule, right? Yeah, and even Steve Jobs had, you know, evidence that they were going down the right path. They had BlackBerry and they had Palm and they had the you know the, there was evidence that that this was the the way to take the business. Um, and, and, you know, with the iPad, the same thing, you know, like uh, Apple had the Newton in the nineties, it was just 20 years too early. So it wasn't like they just dreamed these products, products out of thin air. Mm. Um, so I think that's a myth and, and you don't, you don't want to let that kind of seduce you into, uh, locking yourself in a, in a, in an office and behind your laptop and not speaking to customers. Totally. There's two ways of getting that feedback, right? And one's waiting for that feedback. And that can often be very skewed to the negative because people, you know, if they're happy and satisfied, often won't mention the positive stuff as much as they like to complain. Um, what are some of the systems you've got in place to actively get that feedback from, from customers? Yeah. In the early days when the customer, when we had less than a hundred, we just called them, you know, yeah. Hey, I noticed you signed up for green pal. You got four quotes. You didn't hire anybody. Why didn't you hire anybody? Uh, cause they were too high. Uh, well, there was one that looked good, but his profile looked like crap. And so I didn't hire him. Um, I did hire one guy and he didn't show up. Um, I did, hi- I wanted to hire this one dude, but, uh, he didn't have any reviews like doing that over yeah. and over and over again. You got to understand what caused people to not buy and, or, Hey, I noticed you hired somebody and they came out and did the service. Why didn't you book them for ongoing? Like literally calling people or texting them if they wouldn't uh, answer the phone. So many of those things sound like trust. 
issues. A trust, yeah. And, and you keep, we keyed in on that early on. Like, okay, yeah, if these people are having aversion to hiring a, a, a service provider through a screen because we don't have these trust signals. So we got to build on the mechanics to, to, to get those. And, and we have to literally hand crank and make those profiles shine like, like ourselves in the early days. So, so just talking to people really unlocked a lot of those insights. And so now that, you know, we have thousands and thousands of, of, of people using the platform. So can't call every one of them now anymore, but we, we ask people at scale, how are, how are we doing? How, how is it going? I noticed you got mode last Thursday. Tell us how it went good or bad. Not, not interact with this interface, literally respond to the email. And it, and it goes into our, our box. And I personally look through these and, and, and I'm able to get a finger on the pulse for how we're doing. And, and then we know we do other typical things like we, we look at the sentiment of reviews in the system. You know, what, what are people saying about their contractor? Uh, are, we, are we skewing down towards three and two, two and three stars? Or are we staying between four and five? And so measuring those quantitative things, mm. but not losing sight of the qualitative things and, and, and taking time to digest those qualitative points of feedback is how you can understand if, if you're pissing off people or making people happy. Yeah. And then also in the open wide web, you know, if people are pissed, they're going to barbecue you real Damn quick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and that's painful. It sucks because yeah, everyone's, everyone can be a keyboard warrior today and just say what they yeah, want. Yeah. You got to make a hundred people happy to get one good review. Yeah. To get one bad review, you piss off one person. Piss off one person, guaranteed bad review. Guaranteed. I, reckon, I reckon that's a pretty good ratio, right? Like, I'm yeah, it's 100 to 1. I'm thinking about that when I go through like Amazon reviews or something like that. If it's 100 to 1. Is it yeah. four and a half star? I'm good. If it starts getting sort of four or below, I'm starting to question, you know, <laughs> is it as good as what it looks? Yeah, um, I believe it's 100 to 1. Going back to the service providers and the trust part, did you actually help them? Because it sounds like a lot of it, you know, was them not being able to represent themselves in a trustworthy manner alongside, I guess, maybe the platform being new. Did you help train them in actually creating their profiles to, to be, I guess, you know, more trustworthy? Yeah. In the early days, we hand cranked the hell out of that, nice. much like Airbnb, Airbnb did with, with their early listings. They keyed in really early that they had to take photos of all of their first 10,000 listings. We had to do the same thing. We had to manually curate our service providers' profiles, even though we built out the world's best tools for them to do it themselves and, and made it super easy for them to do it themselves. It's, it's, it's amazing. You can never underestimate the apathy of, of a user base for a new product. Like mm. they are, people are not going to invest in something um, if they don't aren't getting value from it. So we had to do that to kind of get on first base. So we we did that for the first maybe two or three thousand service providers. Now we have thirty something thousand using it, and uh, and so today we have a more automated approach where. Where if somebody comes in and and a contract is coming in, they're quoting new business, and it's like, hey, you're quoting this property, but you don't have a headshot. Your your, your quote's not going to be sent until you upload a headshot. Yeah. And so then they'll upload a picture of uh, their cat, <laughs> and and so then we have to now we're pretty good. We we've passed that to some AI. Say this is not an image of nice. you. Uh, you know, you need to upload a photo of you. And then they'll upload a photo of them and it's like dark and far away. No, this doesn't look that great. So we, we, we slowly but surely have made it to where um, you, you get indoctrinated and you, you make a really good looking profile over time um, because nobody's going to sit down and take 15 minutes and just do it. We, we slowly kind of get it out of them. Um, but, that, but that's taken us a decade to get, to get to there. Man, it sounds like that was such a key decision point, right? Because 
I think it, would have, it could have been easy for a lot of founders to fall into the trap and think, oh, well, that's up to them to sort out if they, they won't get any business if they're... But you understood, like, this is the success of the platform. If we don't help them yep. get their profiles right, there's not going to be trust. No one's going to use it if they've had bad experiences. Yeah, I, I have a, I likened it to we are a coach in their pocket. Um, nice. We Our interests are aligned with our service providers and vice versa. When they make money, the platform makes money. And so we are kind of an accountability layer. Nobody teaches us how to run a small business. Nobody teaches these folks how, what it means to be reliable, what it means to look professional, what it means to, to follow up, what it means to be on time. Nobody teaches anybody this stuff. You kind of just have to learn it. And a lot of new uh, entrants into the marketplace uh, are exposed to the lawn care industry through our platform. Mm -hmm. So we are kind of like a coach in their pocket to, okay, you've never ran a business. Now you're running a business that does 250K a year over six months. And you, and you have this profile that looks great with all of these reviews and all these stats about your business and customer testimonials and things that we have slowly kind of built for you over time. And uh, it took us a while to kind of figure out that that's what our role was. Uh, but that is, that is part of the way we add value into the ecosystem. So then homeowners can hire these folks with confidence, kind of off the shelf, so to speak, because they have this place where all of this information about their little business has accumulated. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you also mentioned something when we we're talking about the trusting before in terms of removing friction. Such a key thing, you know, it's, trust is one thing, but making the process simple and easy for them is, is also going to be critical to people using the service. How critical have you found that and smoothing it out within the service that you guys are providing? And what are some of the, like, I guess, key uh, things that you've implemented that have removed friction throughout your, your customer buying cycle? Yeah, friction's a funny thing because it's like a dial. And sometimes you have to turn up the friction a little bit to get a good end result. And sometimes you got to turn it all oh, the for way. For a quality down. purpose, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Because so so on the on the homeowner side, you really need to reduce all of the friction possible until it's time to 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 make a hire. And so mm. So what we've done is when you when you come in and you want to get quotes for your for your lawn service for free, you just got to provide three things: your your name, your email, and your physical address. You don't even have to add a password or anything. And and you do those three things. You literally do them in five seconds, and then you don't even have to type out you know your your street or anything. We have Google Autocomplete everything. So you can literally do it in in less than ten seconds, and then you get free quotes. You can read reviews, hire the person you want to work with. And then once you hire them and you've got them in the pocket, you then uh, create a password and then you put down your payment information. And then we ask you for your phone number. And then we ask you for maybe how big your fence size, gate size is, and maybe more expectations about like, you know, what, what, what you're looking for specifically and, and things of that sort. So we try to like backload a lot of the friction for service providers we front load a lot of the friction because we want to kind of weed out some of the fly by night guys yeah. that aren't that great. Because if we reduce all the friction there, then, you know, Chuck and a truck can come on the platform and, and piss off a lot of consumers. Yeah, so, you want them to jump through some hoops to get the quality that you want on there providing the services. That's right. And then, and it, but then another thing that's kind of funny is we, we, last year we built on, uh, the same workflow functionality for snow plowing. And so you can order snow plowing on the platform. And so we took the same approach, the same frictionless approach, and it was a total disaster. 
because mm. snow plowing is a really kind of a mission critical thing. It's got to be done at the right time and it's got to be done on time. And, and there's a lot of details that go into making sure that that there's a high, there's a high fail, like a high failure cost. And so we, we, we shifted the, 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 uh, the approach to really like doing a 10 page questionnaire, like, like, uh, it takes literally like two minutes to get through it as the homeowner to get your free quotes, because only then can we ensure a reliable experience from contractors. So they know exactly what they're quoting. You know, how, how, how big is the driveway? How many car garage do you have? Do you want salt or do you want calcium chloride? Do you, would, do you expect it, uh, at, uh, at this time interval and so on? And, and, uh, and so that's something we had to learn the hard way. We had to dial up the friction for the use case for snow removal, dial it all the way down for something simple like lawn mowing. Makes so much sense. My, my head's actually going back to the start of your journey, question that's just come to mind. Because marketplace dynamics are very, very different to any, you know, we primarily work with direct-to-consumer brands, fashion, apparel, that sort of space, physical products. Marketplace, you're, you've got to build the supply and the demand on either side simultaneously to get off the ground. How, like, how did you do that to start with? Was there a focus on one side? Was it simultaneously? Was there, uh, I guess, almost a tipping point where it started snowballing on itself? What, what did that look like building? Yeah, it's when you're building a marketplace like this, you, you have to get both sides of the party, both sides of the of the transaction at the party at the same time. And most of the time, you're constrained against the person taking out their wallet. Hmm. Um, most of the time, that's the harder side of the of the transaction to get. And and so for us, the way we ta- it wasn't like we had vendors beating down our door to use our product, particularly because yeah. it was really crappy in the early days and it had no name recognition and it had no reputation. Um, Probably easier so- to get a business owner to put their info up for free though to start with, right? Yes and no. Um, so, so the the what we were just totally astounded by was just how much apathy there was. We 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 got you know a hundred contractors to sign up just through sheer cold calling off Craigslist, and then we would send them free opportunities to quote, and they would they wouldn't take two seconds and quote the yard. Um, and and. And I was just astounded, like this is free business. I just don't understand why 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 they don't they won't won't don't want to take care of these these people. And so we quickly began to understand that all of the frustrations that consumers experience when they're trying to hire a lawn mowing service were now ours. Uh, they were our problems. And so we had to really kind of get into the psychology of of the contractor side to figure out okay, well, why aren't they quoting and, and what, what do they need to see before they quote and what, what do we need to do to entice them to quote? And uh, the way we kind of got over that was I would, I, I would cold call these folks and I would offer them on free coaching services to grow their lawn mowing business if they would just use my shitty product. And, and that's how we got the first 200 contractors to use it and to keep using it. Um, and, and so, cause I was kind of a little bit of a known commodity in the region. I was one of the only guys ever to sell a, a landscaping business that for, for multiple seven figures. So they kind of knew me and they were like, yeah, hell yeah, I'll take that deal. Nice. And so I was giving like free mentorship and free coaching. And so what that enabled us to do was kind of not worry about the contractor side for maybe a year to where we could focus on the consumer side. How do we get more consumers okay. in it? And what we began to learn was that it was really a function of liquidity on 
getting enough consumers in the door. And if you hit a tipping point there, then the contractors care. Uh, but if you hit them off with like one or two a week, they didn't give a crap. They weren't right. going to, to give it any attention. But you give them 20 a day, now you got their attention. And so yeah. that's kind of what we learned by, by doing that hand cranking of it. And, and building that demand side, was that mainly online or offline or a combination of both? In the early days, it was it was passing out flyers all over Nashville, Tennessee. That's how we got our first couple thousand people. And then we slowly shifted into trying to experiment with every means of online distribution we could. There's a saying that um, first-time founders worry about product and, and building product features. Second-time founders worry about distribution. Hmm. And so it's like if you've done it before and you're coming back around and you're doing it again, you almost don't even like you look at the product like table stakes, you know that distribution is the make or break. And yeah. while I'm still a first-time tech founder, uh, I can kind of understand that, 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 that philosophy. Distribution is all that matters. Product, great product is table stakes. Like that's, that's, that's your ticket price. But you're not going to survive unless you figure out some sort of way to, to bake in growth and distribution and marketing into the DNA of the business. And we made a bet really early on on, on organic search that, that that would be our, our way that we could get people into the front door. And it was a bet to company decision. And now here we are a decade later. That's still how we get half of the people that, that use our product is they just discover us through, a, through an online Google search. So that's, that's, your, that's your stable traffic source. That's it. Yeah. Um, you know, lawn mowing service, Wichita, Kansas. Uh, you know, we pop so up getting super granular to, to a local level with the content. Yep. Yeah. Super granular and not even like lawn care Atlanta. I mean like lawn care Buckhead, Alpharetta. Yeah, nice. um, that's, that's a lot of years work right there. Smyrna, Georgia. Yeah. It's, it's really, 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 really long tail. And you just got to build all these things from the ground up and it takes a long time. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I, I love hearing that one. Um, you mentioned, uh, snow plowing before and or snow clearing because my head was sort of thinking okay well where growth from here because you've really figured this out for a specific niche that could if you wanted to or got distracted by almost copy and pasting to to other niches obviously not that simple you'd have to build it up but you understand what it takes to do it in this vertical from here like what does the growth for the business look like are you going to stay within this lane there's obviously a lot more upside to i guess more knowing in the us it's a big market or is there any thoughts of you know looking at, at other verticals and, and scaling horizontally for us um i think the, the next five years you know we got we got to get this to a hundred million dollar business yeah. and I, I i believe it's 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 all right there in the lawn and landscape industry um we have to keep doing more of what we're good at and and uh we're we have just scratched the surface it's it's a 90 mm. billion dollar industry in it's the crazy States. that's a, i mean it's it's, it's huge lawns, and i think it's only yeah and i think it's only going to get bigger because because particularly the younger generations really value their time yes. and and are willing to pay not necessarily a premium but they're willing to pay uh real money to 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 get time back yeah. and whether it be you know spending you know we we joke but we spend $55 on a hamburger from DoorDash um you know like that's kind of the mentality of of the consumer these days and so i think it's i think it's going to get bigger we really do we think there's expansion 
And there's just a lot, a lot of white space for us in this one industry. We did move into snow plowing only because we have a seasonal business and yes. it was a good way to kind of like bridge the gap uh, for the two or three months that, that the business uh, goes down in many markets. But and it's kind of tied to the lawn, right? Like you gotta, yeah. You know, and, so. and our vendors love it. We really like they make a ton of cash off, off of the platform during the off season. And so that's really why we did it was to, was to put more money in their pocket. Uh, and then that earns loyalty during our bread and butter months. But uh, we have no desire to move into home cleaning or, yeah. or home remodeling or anything like that. Right. The thing yeah. you don't realize is like every business has a million problems and they're all different. Yeah. And, and the plumber has a million different problems than the electrician, than the home mm -hmm. cleaner, than the lawn guy. And we focus just on this one vertical. And I think that's why we're, the, we're one of the best in the world at it. I, I agree with I think it's a space that will keep expanding. And I, I think of it from my personal experience. You know, we've got a bit of land, but I've got a big lawn. And you start, especially once you've got kids and, and you, your time's absorbed, you've got a business, you've got kids. Do I want to spend, you know, two or three hours in the, in the garden every few weekends when that time could be better spent doing things that I enjoy or I value higher? Am I going to get to the end of my life and look back and go, I really valued that time I did doing lawns? Or am I going to value that? spending time with my kids or surfing or playing golf or whatever you love to do. For me, it's a no-brainer. Like, we get someone to come and do ours just because I, I've got other things that I prioritize as important in my time. Yeah, that's really what we're in the business of is selling people back that time. Yep. And then on the, on, the, on the contractor side, you know, con, you know the, getting to the long tail of, of, the, of the service provider that only wants to do 10 or 20 yards a week, and they don't want to fire up a whole accounting system and fire up a whole bookkeeping system and Facebook ads to run that business. They really just want something turnkey. That's where we're a great fit for, the, for these contractors that, that do you know, two or three days a week of work and put an extra $1,000 a week in their pocket. It's a beautiful fit for those folks. And those are a better service provider for homeowners. So we kind of it's kind of a win-win for both sides. Yeah, nice. Look, as, as we're starting to wrap up here, I've still got a, a couple of things rumbling around in my mind. So something that's really stood out to me in this conversation, right, is, is really the mindset and mental framework that, that you've developed over the years. Firstly, like how important is that in, in terms of, you know, being able to not become your own worst enemy? And, I, you know, I've heard a few references in there that are familiar. I've heard a bit of Jim Collins in there with the 20 Mile March as well. What are some of yeah. the, 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 the key books and resources that have helped you develop that that mental framework that you need to be able to do this and sustain it over over a decade or 20 odd years now jim collins is great good to yeah. great uh built to last you know the the, the, the hedgehog, hedgehog concept flat the flywheel effect like these these are just philosophies that that are timeless in business uh seven habits of highly effective people dr stephen covey is a, yeah. is a great book i try to listen to that on audible every couple of years a book about uh, managing my personal psychology through business is one by a guy by the name of Donald Miller. He wrote a book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Mm -hmm. And what that book is about is about to live an interesting life. You have to live an interesting story. And so I read this book. I'm like, mm, that makes sense. And then I, I figured out, well, my business is the storyline to my life. It is the thing that's causing my life to be interesting. And it's almost like you're the main character or you're the hero in the movie and the business, you know, it's like the hero has to go through ups and downs and the hero has to like overcome challenges to get to where he's trying to go and where he's trying to take his people. And, 
And so that's made a lot of sense for me. And so like viewing my, my, my entrepreneurial journey, almost like a storyline, understanding there's going to be ups and downs, understanding there's going to be challenges, but that kind of helps manage a lot of the personal psychology and takes care of a lot of the small stuff. If you kind of reframe it that way. I, I love that part. And we've, it's like that whole story brand concept is something that we really tied into rebuilding our brand over the last 12 months with the, that we're working on. And the hero of the story is not us. It's not me. It's right. not the founders. It's our customers, right? And once you start right. understanding that and it's about their journey, we're there as a guide. We're You're just there to help, them, to, to help them get where they need to go. It's That's such right. such a big mindset shift. Um, sounds I like something that. that you focused on from the start. Like you focused on customers from day one, understanding that. Um, look, any, any parting thoughts that you think we haven't covered today that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, you know, a lot of times when you're when you're evaluating like, should I start a business or should I keep running this business or whatever? Like um, I have felt this before. You can feel like you missed it. You know, you can feel like, um, you know, oh, I missed cloud computing or I missed the gig economy or I missed crypto or I missed the creator economy or I missed whatever like the brand is for the trend they've given it. I've missed Web3 or whatever. Yep. And the reality is, is that it's always going to get bigger particularly software, like if you think software is going to be here 100 years from now, well, then like we're in year 20. Um, so it's always going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You didn't miss it. It's literally like still the first inning. So get in the game. Totally. Like like put me in the game, coach, because only when you're in the game can you win. Like just like stop procrastinating and get in the game. So that, that would be like something that I've had to remind myself of and I would share with your people. I couldn't agree more. I, I think when you zoom out and look at where we're at in, in terms of the tech industry and, and the information age, it's like the early 1900s for the industrial age. Probably yeah. probably even like this is really going to craft the future for us. I think it's humanity and yeah, not looking about the next one, two years or what you've missed. I agree. Thinking 10, 20, 30 years down the track, I think things that we can't even imagine are going to be normal for us. And you want to be a part of it. Yeah. Hundred percent, Brian. I absolutely love this conversation today. I think um, I'd love to get you back on another time and, and maybe even just focus on the entrepreneurial mindset side of things because I think there's so much we can take away from that and, and your clarity of thinking and, and how you approach your business. It's an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Scott. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Growth and Greatness e-commerce podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And if you did, we'd love for you to leave us a review on your platform of choice and help us reach as many people as we can. Now, if you're a brand founder, an e-commerce entrepreneur, or an in-house marketing manager looking to accelerate your growth this year, then reach out to us at Right Hook Digital. We're a performance branding agency and we specialize in partnering with e-commerce brands to help them hit their growth goals with maximum ROI. Now, if this sounds like a solution that you need, then check us out at righthookdigital.com and schedule a call with our client partnerships team. They'd love to have a chat with you and see how we can help you grow 